Greetings, film fans, and welcome to another episode of the Following Feature Podcast. I'm your host, Arthur Wilde, and I'm back once again for another hour of chat, gossip, news, reviews, whatever, really. We're going to be talking about movies, and we're going to be talking about some more serious things as well, because I think we can all agree this has been quite a difficult week or so. A lot's been going on, uh, but we'll, we'll get into that in a bit more detail later on. Um, first of all, let's just dive straight in with the movie news. Now, first bit of news, Hollywood is back in business. Kind of. Um, according to the governor of California, uh, he said the films can go into back into production as of June the 12th. Now, there's little coming out regarding whether or not they're going to be uh, adhering to any special social distancing guidelines. Um, but Tyler Perry has already come out and spoken about how... Um, as far as his productions are concerned, they're going to have the cast tested, uh, then make them isolate for 16 days, and then flown out on private jet, where they'll be tested again before they can go into production. Um, but one bit of news I did here, remember last week I was talking about Tom Cruise and all of his crazy plans? Well, um, one of the latest stories coming out is that he's looking to take over, or possibly, allegedly, take over an RAF base in Oxford. Uh, which he will turn into basically a small filming village uh, where cast and crew can live in isolation with regular testing so they can continue to finish their productions. And this is ba mainly based around um, Mission Impossible 7 and 8, uh, which are both filming back-to-back -back in London. Um, and so, yeah, I mean... <sighs> This is the thing. It seems like we're always talking about something crazy that Tom, Tom Cruise is up to. And, and fair play to him. Why not? You know, uh, he's got the money, he's got the resources. He can make things happen. Um, I would be up for that. I mean, if it came down to it and they were like, we need people who are not going to be too worried about being away from their families for too long. Or, you know, giving up their social life for a short while. I, I could do this. I don't have any kids or anything, and I'm really, really fucking bored. So, you know, until we can get back to work, until I can go to the cinema, I'm happy to live on a disused army base with Tom Cruise. I'm, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. So uh, give me a shout. Yeah. Um, one, of, one of the films that won't be affected, of course, is um, Avatar 4. Now, I know what you're thinking, like, Avatar 1 is the only one they've had released so far. Well, they've been filming three films, I believe. Um, two, three, and four. Although I think four might be a prequel. I don't really know. But because these are all being filmed in New Zealand, these are all very easily going to go back into production a lot sooner than most films, because uh, as far as the battle against the virus goes, New Zealand won. They, they did really well. Um... I know they've got a smaller population, but they managed it effectively. And yeah, any films that are being made in New Zealand will go, go back into pre-production, I think, before most of the films in the world. Some will be rushed back in. I know that they're looking to get... Um, there's a couple of films being made in the UK. The Batman and Fantastic Beasts 3 are two huge productions that really want to go back into production. Batman had already started filming. I think uh, Fantastic Beasts was just gearing up to get started before the lockdown started. Now... Yeah, I'm sure if they can afford to test everyone and kind of introduce health and safety measures that allow people to work in confidence without getting the virus, then that's that's fantastic and, you know, fair play to them. Um, 
But I don't know. I don't know. As I said, as I said last week, I think it's going to be a lot of intimate scenes. A lot of I say intimate, not like sexual scenes. I mean, those are going to be really hard ones to do. Um, any actual intimacy, you know, whilst socially distancing. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I, I mean, they're going to be doing a lot of smaller scenes with principal actors, just one-on-one or monologue scenes, you know, different bits and pieces where it doesn't have a lot of crowd and stuff. Um, so these things can happen. It is very possible. But remember, there are a lot more people involved, and especially on films like, like the Fantastic Beast films, where hair and makeup is going to be so pivotal. Um, I believe that uh, the, the costume designer is an Oscar-winning one. And therefore, that attention to detail, uh, you know, for a lot of people, that's going to be hands-on. Um, I, I did actually work with this same person on uh, Dumbo. And the inspections that we had to go through every day on our costumes, like just over and over and over again, uh, lining everyone up and making sure that everyone was, you know, perfect as per what they were, the, the look they were going for. Um, so it's going to be really hard to have all of that kind of stuff going on on a production like Fantastic Beasts um, if they can't give it the attention to detail that makes their films as incredible as they are. Um, you know, watch this space. We'll see what happens. Things keep um, changing. Things keep growing and developing. Well, I'll try to keep you updated as much as I possibly can. Um, but next in the news, uh, Alien. Um, the Ridley Scott created franchise is moving to Disney Plus. And the acclaimed director has stated that he thinks there is still a certain amount of mileage in the series. Um, he talks of a need to re-evolve the subject matter. Um, the original thoughts regarding the origins of the, the xenomorph, the alien, uh, were that it was being transported on some kind of battleship that crashed on its way to some unknown destination. Um, so maybe the next installment of the focus will focus on the uh, alien itself and how it came to be. Um, which we've kind of covered in Covenant um, in a weird sort of retrospective way, which I, I just, I don't know if you've seen these films. Prometheus was, it had its moments, but um, uh, I believe the original concept for that film was much better than when they tried to turn it into, you know, a proper tie into all of the alien storylines and it just, it just got kind of messy. Um, and Covenant, I thought, was an attempt to kind of strip it back down and kind of get more straightforward and, and you know, better with the, the plot line. But it just, it, again, it got quite convoluted and it got tried to get a bit overcomplicated, um, a bit too clever for its own good, if you know what I mean. And yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Um, I also kind of talked about the origin of the alien um, and how it became something that humans were responsible for. Ah, just, yeah, it was a bit of a mess. But they're looking to, uh, they're looking to, to revisit that. Um, and, they, yeah, they want to look at how, like an alien origin story. Um, it's a weird direction to go in, and I'm not sure what I think yet, but uh, a stripped-back version, I think, would be better. Um, the mystery of the monster is what made it so frightening. Uh, fear of the unknown is relatable. A story about the creature's point of view isn't. Um, you know, when we had the first Alien film, it was just the terror of this this death monster, this unbelievably, you know, inhuman-looking thing, which was unstoppable, which had acid for blood and you know two sets of jaws. It was it was a frightening, frightening thing. But 
with the first film, the protagonists were miners, I believe. They were just like sort of industrial workers, civil servants, if you will. Um, so they weren't like specially trained soldiers and mercs that could, you know, sort of fight such a thing. That's what made it exciting. These people were not ready for this and their vulnerability was palpable. Um, but yeah, um, I don't think they've really captured that magic again. Um, they tried to in Alien 3, but um, David Finch's film was taken over by a committee of filmmakers that had an agenda. And what they ended up doing was just, I don't know, a mishmash. It was a film that was thrown together in the edit and it did not really work. Um, which is a shame. David Fincher has, has proved to be a phenomenal filmmaker. Um, and it's just a shame when, when someone that talented gets their work kind of trodden all over. Um, but that's probably a common theme on this podcast. That's something I talk about quite a bit. I'm not very fond of people um, interrupting art and then claiming that their interruption had nothing to do with the failure of the art. I'll move on. I'm going to move on now to some Keanu's. Yeah, it's still not funny. Um, uh, Keanu Reeves is a, is a busy, busy man. Um, and one of the things that we're talking about right now, or one, I said one of the things we're talking about, one of the things that is being talked about right now is John Wick 4. Yes, they are not going to stop making these films until we stop seeing them, and I'm not going to stop seeing them, so I guess they're going to keep making them. John Wick 4, uh, the director, Chad Staleski, uh, says he's filmed so much for John Wick 3 that instead of putting it in a director's cut, he is just going to repurpose it for the fourth instalment. Uh, there are a couple of big action sequences which are apparently overlapped thematically, so they got dropped. Uh, but he now says there is a place for them in John Wick 4 that I can definitely reinsert them. Uh, the release date, 27th of May 2022, is currently still happening, but with larger chunks of the film already in the can, uh, it could be sooner than expected. I mean, you know, they're not going to be affected by lockdown. Um, it hadn't gone into production yet anyway, so... Hopefully that, that, that'll be still coming out when it's supposed to come out. Um, and apparently it's supposed to be around the same time as Matrix 4. Um, Elena Wachowski has been talking a lot about the kind of uh, pressures that she's faced by the studio and the amount of pushback and prejudice that she's experienced and how difficult it has been for her to um, exist in the industry um, and how marginalised she has felt, you know, um, over the last... 20 years um, since making the first Matrix film and, and her and her sibling, you know, coming out as, as you know, the hot stuff in filmmaking. Um, and she actually almost walked away from Hollywood. But uh, thankfully she is coming back and, and we are going to see a Matrix 4. And, and from what she said about it so far, it's just going to be absolutely bonkers. I, and in fact, I think that's the exact word she used to describe it. It's just going to be bonkers. Um and I think we got an idea of what they mean by bonkers and Jupiter Ascending. That was fucking bonkers. Um, and kind of fun in a this isn't working, but I'm loving it kind of way. Um, I don't know if you've seen Jupiter Ascending. It It's not it's not a great film. But in the way that it's bad, it is great, if that makes any sense. Um, there's some of the stuff that's so shocking. Like when Sean Bean's talking about the origins of his character... I mean, when Channing Tatum's saying, like, sort of, you know, um, he's human-like, but he uh, his species evolved from wolves, and he's got this kind of, like, you know, 
hunter instinct about him and this agility that's you know sets him apart from other people but then you meet sean bean's character and it's like kind of like oh well you know what what species did you evolve from like bees it's just <laughs> i think it's something to do with his sheffield accent come from bees i don't, I don't know it's just it's a it's a strange concept but there's there's so much of that film's just batshit crazy um I'm probably giving it more credit than it deserves, but I don't know. There was something just terrible about it that I really, really loved. Um, and I just, I found myself laughing uh, in, you know, and it's not a comedy film. It's not supposed to be funny, but I found it just hilarious in parts. Anyway, so yeah, we will be getting Matrix 4 around the same time as uh, John Wick 4, and that could be the summer of Keanu. Um, but we don't know. We don't know. That's, um, what is it? Summer 2022. So we'll see. We'll see. But let's not forget, Bill and Ted Face the Music is still due for release this August. That's two months away, people. Uh, both Keanu Reeves and uh, his Bill and Ted co-star, Alex Winter, um, they, they actually um, delivered a graduation speech virtually for the graduating class of the actual San Dimas High School which the boys attended in the films. Um, it's on YouTube if you want to check it out. It's a cool story. Um, yeah, they just, they, they did it kind of in character, but still at the same time being real with the people and saying like, sort of, you know, you're very inspirational. Um, but no one, no one, no one said breathtaking, I don't think. Um, however, that does actually lead me on to another cool story. Um, apparently a resident of the street where they've been filming uh, the latest Bill and Ted film, uh, they left a sign on their lawn saying, you're breathtaking in a reference to his recent appearance, uh, Keanu Reeves' recent appearance at the E3 Gaming Expo. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, he came out and he was promoting a film that he actually plays a part in called uh, Cyberpunk. I think it's Cyberpunk 2099 or something, something like that. Anyway, he came out and he was talking about like sort of how the, you know, um, the, the graphics and the visuals are, are breathtaking. And someone in the audience went, you're breathtaking. And he just points straight back at them and goes, no, you're breathtaking. And everyone just went, everyone cooed, basically. There was a lot of um, weak knees. Um, but yeah, so this this person put a sign out on their front lawn saying like, oh, you're breathtaking in, in reference to that. And uh, they, they knew that he'd be going past in the car. Uh, but what they didn't expect was that he saw it, stopped the car, got out, signed it. And then he went and found the family that had put it out on their lawn. And... Um, Gave it to them and, and had pictures taken with them. And uh, yeah, was just a super sweet guy. I mean, if you don't already know, Keanu has a reputation for being the nicest man in Hollywood. Um, maybe even the world. Um, but yeah, so that's that's my um, run, run through of the uh, Keanu's. All right, I'll stop. I'll stop. I just think it works. No? All right. Um and now we move on to, uh, I don't even remember last week, I was talking about the film Tenet, a Christopher Nolan film, um, The Mindbender, uh, with um, John David Washington and um, your man there, the Batman, what's his name? Uh, Robert Patterson. Yeah, that's that's going to be a, a very interesting film. I can't wait for that. But apparently it's still due for release on seven, uh, July 17th. Now, I've seen some conflicting stories going around saying that they are actually now going to push it back. Um, but... There's a lot of things easing up at the moment, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, relaxing of the, the lockdown rules, so maybe it will still happen. Maybe maybe that's the first film we're gonna, all going to get to see when the cinemas reopen. 
Um, and that'd be really exciting. Um, I'm still not too sure about going out because as far as, as, far as I can see, the, the disease is still there. Um, the vaccine's not available yet. The track and tracing isn't going to be working until September. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't really see what's changed. I don't really feel like being, if the cinema's open today, I would not go back. Um, I just think that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, it's an ever-evolving thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But Tenet is still apparently coming out on uh, July 17th, so we've got that to look forward to. Um, uh, but if, if anything happens, I mean, I'll let you know. I'll keep you posted. But for now, let's move on to our movie reviews. And um, I should really kind of uh, prefix this with uh, an explanation. Um I've deliberately picked films this week regarding um, Black Lives Matter and uh, what's going on in America at the moment and what's happened since um, the tragic killing of George Floyd. Um, it's something that has affected, I think, pretty much everyone around the world. Um, and it's something that we've got to talk about. Um, the reason why I want to talk about it is that... Um, this is a movie podcast, and movies are a medium for storytelling, and, and, you know, that's not just fictional stories, it's not all Marvel movies. Um, a lot of the times, movies are a great medium for people to actually kind of explain what's going on in the world from a different perspective, and one that people might not always appreciate. Um, storytelling can, can really kind of open the eyes of people that would have... They, they would have been educated on a subject, but in a certain way. Um, they always say that history is written by the victors. And in, in most of the wars of oppression throughout the, the decades or centuries, uh, the victors have always been the oppressors. So the stories they've told have always kind of painted pictures in a very dishonest and biased fashion. Um, and what you can do now is if you if you have actual filmmakers that have a better understanding of the history, a great, greater perspective of the situation, and a greater empathy for it, then they can offer us an insight that we don't normally have. Um, if you haven't figured this out by yet, I'm a white guy. Um, my family's Irish. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the palest man that I've ever known. Um, so I'd, I'd be very, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that I have... I have a certain perspective and for me to get a better understanding and a better, you know, appreciation for how a different color of pigmentation or a different amount of pigmentation can drastically lead to you living a, a completely different life. Um, so I've picked films this week, which deal with issues that can only really be told um, by black people. Um, by that I mean black directors, black actors telling stories about what life is like for black people. And I think it's important uh, for these stories to be told because, as I say, you know, I can I can try to understand and I can try to empathise, but the most important thing I can do is listen. Uh, listen to the stories that are being told about what's really happening in the world, how things really go, and try to realise that this is a problem with humanity. It is not one race's responsibility to create equality. It's all of ours. Um, 
and the more we can understand and the more that we can appreciate what is really going on in the world um, and how bad things really are, the more we can participate in changing things for the better. Um, Each generation has had to hand down the burden of a failed attempt to make the world a better place. And at this stage in in human evolution, communication and the the spreading of knowledge has never been so easy. Um, And whilst, yes, there is a huge problem with the spreading of misinformation, um, luckily, one, one thing we can do is we can have, we can give artists the freedom to, to make the art which tells the stories that would otherwise be hidden from us or told in a biased perspective. Um, so, you know, I've most of my education has come from, well, not most of my education, but a lot of my education uh, about civil rights and equal rights and the history of uh, racism um, around the world um, comes from movies. Um, some of the most dramatic stories have been told through movies um i know like sort of learning about my irish heritage watching films like uh, in the name of the father and um uh, the wind that shakes the barley it kind of opens my eyes to the history of my people um but i also need to kind of have a, a worldwide perspective otherwise i'm i'm living in a bubble um and that's how a lot of these problems come about so i have deliberately picked three films that i think really tell the story of, of black people um, and and the problems they face and the prejudice they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, the hurdles they have to climb that um, other races don't. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm talking about white privilege there um, and the, the way I see white privilege. Um, it's not about how easy you have it because you're white. It's about recognizing how many more hurdles you might have had to jump if you'd been black. Uh, and that's that's the, the way I choose to look at it. Um, I try to appreciate the fact that life hasn't been easy, but there are certain um, difficulties and obstacles that I haven't had to face that could have made my life even harder. Um, and having that, I think, gives me a healthy Uh, perspective and appreciation Um, because I have close friends that oh geez I don't want to be one of those people but you know to really appreciate what um, uh, my friends my black and uh, you know African Asian um, West Indian all of of my friends that have to deal with um, race in their day-to-day lives um, you know, it gives me a better understanding of, of who they are and what they're going through. Um, and so I've, I've picked three films, which I think, um, you know, are really important and worth watching uh, during this whole situation. If you don't have a full understanding of what's going on, or you feel like you're missing something and you, you don't quite understand the outrage and the upset that's being felt around the world right now, then these three films might actually offer you a bit more of a a perspective um an appreciation um and again these are films that could not have been told by anyone other than the people that experience this kind of stuff on a day-to-day basis so the first one um and i'm, I'm not even fucking about here the first one is black klansman 
from Spike Lee. Now, this is a true story of an undercover black officer, Ron, Stalwar- Ron Stallworth, uh, who was stationed in Colorado in the 70s. Uh, his assignment is to investigate political rallies. His first assignment, however, working in the base, is working in the basement, uh, retrieving case files for other officers. Um, but he's soon tasked with going undercover. But it's had a black civil rights movement, um, proving not only that he can take care of himself in such a situation, but that the black power groups were not a threat. Uh, Ron is moved to intelligence. Uh, not being one to just sit on his hands, he immediately responds to a recruitment ad for the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, after talking on the phone, much to the amusement of his colleagues, he quickly creates an opportunity to infiltrate the organisation. But, as the only black man in his squad, he must recruit his fellow officers to participate in a ruse that could turn deadly. As the different stories intertwine, you're forced to see things in a very black and white way, pardon the pun. I love Spike Lee's work, but sometimes you really need to consider what the director is saying. His use of artistic license doesn't intend to be dishonest, but it does play out like it's aware who might be watching. Uh, There are occasional moments of corny backslapping and high fives that paint an almost idyllic situation for a protagonist who you're more than certain had to face regular and severe prejudice. Uh, Definitely more than was exposed in this film. Um, But I believe that was Lee's intention. Um, What he wanted was uh, the white supremacists to seem cartoonish in their backwards ways and the black detective to be admired and respected for his hard work and intelligence. Not because he wants to be dishonest, but because he wants to lampoon the current system for its failings in the fight for equality. In fact, some refer to the film as satire. Um, but really what it does, it, it kind of shows like sort of, I mean, it's, it's telling a true story. Um, and it's kind of getting away from some of the, the real hardships that this guy had to experience. There is a bit of artistic license being used as well in regards to the, um, uh, the white detective that he uses to play him in person, uh, who's played by Adam Driver in this film. Um, and John David Washington and Adam Driver really do stand out in this film. They, they give absolutely fantastic, solid performances. Um, but yeah, uh, his character of Flip, um, the Jewish policeman that takes his place uh, with his own agenda, it's uh, a completely fictional character. And that's that's mainly because the detective that was involved, because he had so much face-to-face time with the clan, he still can't reveal who he was. Um, so that will always be a secret. Um, so that, that, that character is fictitious, and um, the romantic interest, uh, Patrice, she's also a fictitious character because the real detective was actually um, dating his now wife at the time. Um, but this is a fantastic film because it does show uh the past really it shows like the the previous generation and their attempts to you know make a difference make a change and make the world a better place and and it ends with um it actually ends with a tribute to um what was her name uh heather hayer the um she was the activist the black black rights matter activist that was um killed in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, by James Alex Fields when he mowed her down in his car, just went straight through the crowd uh, in in a horrible domestic terrorist incident, although I'm quite sure the American government doesn't call it that, because as the president said in his response to that whole situation, you know, they were very fine people. So, um, yeah. And that's that's pretty much what Spike Lee's saying in this film. He's, he's, He's pointing out, you know, 
how ridiculous it was that people had to go through this back in the 70s. And then he shows you the like, modern day society and the actual footage of, of that, that horrific incident. And he's like, mm, see, still happening 50 years later. You know, there's still the same things, the same problems that people are facing, the same prejudices, the same danger. And yeah, it's it's difficult to watch at the end. I, I must admit, I when I first saw the film at cinema, I, I found that last bit very uncomfortable because it just kind of made you sit up and think, fuck, you know, how long is this going to go on for before we start seeing a difference? Anyway, the new Spike Lee joint, um, The Five Bloods, uh, is actually going to be out this Wednesday, 10th of June, on Netflix. And I'm really, really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing you know, just... You know, Spike Lee, he's, he's um, a fantastic filmmaker, one that I've enjoyed for many, many years. I remember being a kid and watching films like Do the Right Thing. And these were part of my education into kind of understanding um, racial inequality in the world. Because as a small Irish child in London in the, the 80s, um, there was a lot that we had to deal with. And you kind of have this very narrow perspective um, yeah, let's not get into that right now. I'm not going to compare, like, sort of the hardships of different races. I'm like, oh, the Irish have had it hard too. Like, that's completely, this isn't the time, or it's just not, it doesn't compare. The next film I want to talk about um, is Queen and Slim. And uh, this was the uh, directorial debut of um, Melina Matsukas. And it tells the story of Ernest Slim Hines, played by Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya, and Angela Queen Johnson, played by Jodie Turner-Smith, and how their first date turned into the most significant life night of their lives. After an awkward meal in a diner that Queen finds telling in regards to the man Slim is, or is trying to be, the two conclude their night and drive home. Assumptions about one another are made, and both find themselves guilty of expecting something different from the date. These moments are countered with context, and both feel uncomfortable with the way they've acted. It seems there will not be a second date. But when a worrying encounter during a traffic stop ends in tragedy, the two must stick together to survive. Along the way, they have the unexpected opportunity to get to know each other, both through the confession of truths that shaped them and witnessing actions that defined them. They find something in each other that they didn't expect. A bond that goes beyond affection and transcends all expectations, a love that burns brighter with each moment that works to extinguish it. In this moment in their lives, they start to find a love that's strong enough to carry them to freedom, justice, and maybe even the happiness they pursue. Along the way, they must trust and show caution in equal measure. No assumptions can be made about who or what is on their side. Temptation goes beyond principles when society creates desperation. It is the undoing of even the purest soul, and indeed, the way this story is told has an almost Shakespearean quality to it. There is no comedy, however, and this plays more of a tragedy brought about by history. Knowing how much justice to expect from a system that can only see a black man killing a white cop, they run, and if there were white people, you'd think that to be a mistake. The inconvenient truth is, when black people encounter the police, especially in the US, where they are more likely to use firearms, there is an inherent threat to life. Basically, with Queen being a defence attorney, Slim has explained to him that he will never see his family again if he turns himself in. And maybe they were wrong, and maybe they would have seen justice, 
but that would have seemed a more far-fetched story considering the current climate. Indeed, it would probably go to insult the memory of those who have suffered such tragedies before. Melina does a fantastic job of telling the story with artistic grace and knowing heart. Daniel gives another wonderful performance, and Jodie proves the step up from TV to movies is overdue. Her blossoming career will bloom in the light of this outing. The chemistry between the two is electric, and it serves as the driving force behind this film. I would thoroughly recommend it. It has some fantastic performances um, from the supporting cast as well. Uh, there's a lot going on in this film, um, but it really is just a great piece of art. Um, I love the way it's shot, um, the uh, the way it's lit. Um, it's one of the things that comes up every now and again. Um, not a lot of people know how to do proper lighting on black skin. It takes... It's not the same as, as you would with a Caucasian person. A white, white guy. Yeah. But it's a fantastic film. Absolutely check it out. Um, okay, my final film this week is Fruitvale Station. Uh, this is the directorial debut of Ryan Coogler of Black Panther and Creed fame. Uh, and it stars Michael B. Jordan in what is often referred to as his breakout performance. Jordan plays the lead in this true story of Oscar Grant, who was tragically killed by a police officer in 2009. But this isn't a story that has racial tension or prejudice as its theme. This is a portrait of a man who goes about his final day on Earth. We learn about the struggles he's facing as an ex-con trying to do right by his family. Uh, it shows us not only his individual journey, but the partner he is to his girlfriend, the father he is to his daughter, the son he is to his loving mother, the brother he is to his sister, and everything that he is to his friends, and what they are to him. We see the branches of his life and all the ways in which it connects to the world around, and is made richer for it, too. Jordan gives an absorbing performance, and you feel that you know who Oscar was before things take that nasty turn. You come to realise that this is a man who may have been the cause for some of the problems in his life that he experienced, but no matter what his past transgressions were, his life mattered. It was no one's right to threaten or indeed take it away. Whilst other directors might have tried to create a more obvious depiction of how evil destroyed something good, the focus is on humanity and the lives affected, the heightening of fears that an already marginalised group have to deal with, and the consequential outrage that follows. As the credits roll, we learn the truth in regards to the dire lack of accountability that the authorities take in reaction to the tragedy. And, yeah... This is my indie film this week because, as I say, this was Ryan Coogler's um, directorial debut. Uh, this is the film he wanted to make since he was at film school, uh, which he was still studying in 2009 when, when Oscar Grant was killed. Um, and he knew he wanted to tell the story of this man's last day. Um, and when he was trying to get the film financed around 2011, 2012... Um, one of the people that he ended up um, across the table from was Forrest Whitaker, uh, who was um, looking for new young talent that he could mentor. And he fully backed uh, Ryan Coogler on this project. Um, and when they managed to recruit the acting talents of the wonderful Octavia Spencer as Oscar's mother in this film, uh, and trust me, she knocks it out of the park. It's absolutely fantastic. I don't think she's ever been bad in a film. Um, 
But when she came on board and some of the finances actually fell through, she used her contacts in the industry to try to get some more money behind the filming and help it, you know, achieve production. And it just, you know, as you can imagine, if you watch this film, you'll you'll know straight away. It's it's fantastic, and it, it got all the recognition and accolades that it deserved. Um, I think it swept up at the Sundance Film Festival, where it, was, it made its debut. Uh, but it's gone on to win many awards since then, and it has been uh, a, a launch pad for the careers of Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan had had obviously had an acting career before this. He was probably um, well known for playing Maurice in The Wire. Um, but as he grew up, his roles were more kind of small, kind of background roles. He was in the George Lucas film Red Tails, about the um, I think World War One pilots or World War Two pilots. I think World War One pilots. But yeah, this was the one where um, you know Ryan Coogler. He said that he always had Michael in in, in mind for this role. Um, so when he actually got to cast him, it was absolutely perfect and. You know, the, the film is really well made. It's a beautifully told story. You know, you really get um, you really get to kind of see the the world that this guy lived in, um, and how much he was a part of it. Uh, you know, I think that's the one thing that gets lost when these stories break about uh, the people that are killed. A lot of the times, unfortunately, um, right wing media will try to get hold of the person's criminal past. To as if to say, like, sort of, you know, yes, this person was murdered, but um, have we really lost someone special? And that's that's the most tragic part of it, really, to try to, I don't know, play down the worth that someone has. Um, I mean, this is why the movement has the the, the title "Black Lives Matter." Um, again, it's not about black lives mattering more it's just that the way that things are are considered and the way they're treated and how easily they seem to be killed by the authorities um it's as if they're saying to the world it's all right it's just a black person it doesn't matter black lives do matter um anyone that comes at you saying all lives matter uh, you know i think michael shade said it best he said, I'm just going to wait till 9-11 and put on a t-shirt saying all buildings matter. Because that's how it feels. That's how it feels. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not saying that, like, sort of, trust me, I know that's how it feels. I don't. I can never know. You know, I could. I can never know what it's like to have to consider the fact that, like, sort of, a job interview or just a run-in with the police, anything like that could be affected by the fact that people will make a judgment based on the color of my skin. It's not something that I've ever had to deal with. Um, and some people might say, well, what about reverse racism? You know, have you never been accused of something just because you're white? Well, of course I have. Of course I have. But, you know, there's something behind that. I'm not saying like kind of, yeah, they're secretly right. I had an incident recently where um, I was arguing with um, someone that I, I greatly admire and respect. However, they were talking some utter bullshit about 5g and coronavirus and they were so so you know i don't know lost to the world of reality in regards to their conspiracy beliefs but i used the phrase well i used the phrase keep on drinking the kool-aid 
I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's basically regarding the Jonestown massacre where um, a cult of uh, people following a guy decided that they were going to take uh, Kool-Aid laced with um, cyanide uh, in order to transcend to a different level of being and, I don't know, meet up with aliens or something. But it was like the greatest mass suicide. Um, and they, they called it a massacre. Um, but it was the epitome of like following a conspiracy to the most extreme lengths to the point where it's it, you, you disregard how damaging it is to yourself. Um, that's what that phrase means. Um, and I had it thrown back in my face as I'm being racist. Which is really, really difficult because the last thing I want is for anyone to think that I might be harboring some kind of secret racist beliefs. As I say, I do have friends from all walks of life um, and all of them have had to deal with some kind of prejudice at some point. Uh, and I'd hate to think that when they're in my company, they're not in a safe space. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't need to piss and whine about it because I have the luxury of going about my life without the worry of racism. Like, this is the thing. I was watching all these films back to back and I was making notes and I was trying to kind of get an idea in my head of what I was going to talk about. And at times it seemed a bit much. It seemed like, I don't know, like I was, I was drowning in this issue and, and torturing myself by watching all this pain and suffering. And I thought to myself, you know what? I might just pause this and walk away. And I thought, well, if anything is the epitome of, of privilege, it's the ability to switch off the racism when it gets a bit too much and walk away. I can choose not to experience racism in my life. That is a privilege. Um, and again, it's not about the fact that I have it easy or I have advantages in my life. It's just knowing how much more difficult it could have been, how much more of a struggle I could have faced, and just the psychological effect that could have had on me for the rest of my life. And it's one of the reasons why, um, if you look on our Facebook page, the following feature podcast Facebook page, um, on one of the recent posts, it they, whenever you post on Facebook, it always says, like, do you want to put a donate button and donate to a charity? And uh, one charity that I've read about recently, which I'm very much behind, is uh, Black Minds Matter. Uh, because I, as I've mentioned before, I've had experiences in the past with um, mental health problems, and I've had to get help for that. And sometimes the health the help can be really hard to come by. Um, now, if you're actually uh, living in America where you don't have a national health system and you've got to pay for this kind of treatment, uh, it can be even harder. And if you're having to deal with these kind of troubles and watching this kind of stuff happening in the news and and have to deal with that day to day, um, the effects that can have on, on you psychologically can be damaging. And that's why I've got behind the charity Black Minds Matter. Because what they do is they offer... Um, uh, like support, um, uh, therapy, and uh, counselling uh, for anyone that might have been affected uh, personally by um, encounters of racism or, or prejudice, um, but not just personal encounters, but by what they're seeing on the news and how it kind of paints a picture of the world they live in and how safe they are. And, you know, that kind of effect goes unnoticed a lot of the time. Um, 
And that for me is, is, is a very important cause. So if you go on our Facebook page and you do see that button, if you want to donate, um, it's very easy. Facebook make it extremely easy. All you do, do is click the button and say, yeah, I want to donate some money, um, put a few quid in there. And, and that's how you can really help. Um, we can all post pictures uh, on Blackout Tuesday. Um, we can all use the hashtag. Um, but a lot of the times that um, kind of viral spread of, you know, people showing their support uh, can make it difficult for people to find information they need. So whilst it is important to get behind Black Lives Matter, be careful of the use of the hashtag, because sometimes people are following that hashtag to get the information they need to know what to do, yeah, especially in America, where there's a lot of uh, civil unrest and the rioting, um, there's a lot of people in danger and a lot of people that are frightened that need access to that information. So be careful about what you're posting and how you're posting it. Um, you can use variations of the hashtag, um, but there are charities as well where you can get behind the victims of um, uh, people that have been lost loved ones to police brutality um, or are still suffering the consequences, medical bills or police brutality. There are charities there that you can support. As I say, Black Minds Matter will help people who are struggling with the psychological effects that this is having on them and their families um, and helping them to cope with the situation and move forward and progress and lead, lead a better quality of life. Uh, because that's the thing that's important as well. Um, you know, this, the struggle goes on, but as, as white people, we can we can, once we're finished protesting and kind of kicking up a fuss and, you know, supporting uh, the cause, we can then turn around, go home, stick on the TV, and that's it. We're good. We're fine. We're safe. Um, for a lot of people, they can't, they can't see that. When they go home, they close the doors, they lock the door, they double check the door is locked. Even then, you don't really know what's going to happen. Um, you know, as we've seen in other cases, you could be you could be um, a young black nurse working as an EMT and uh, in the middle of the night, due to mistaken identity and bad information, the cops can kick in your door unannounced uh, and open fire blindly in the dark and kill you. That's, that's something that actually happened. And it's, it's, you know, it's indicative of what's actually happening in, in America right now. And it's happening all around the world. Don't think for a minute that here in the UK that we're not experiencing that kind of brutality towards uh, black people. I remember once coming out of um, a therapy concert, therapy or an Irish rock band that I went to see in 1995 at Brixton Academy. And it happened to be the night of the Brixton riots. Um, and it was a strange situation because we didn't know what was going on until we were released from the venue. And we were locked in that venue for a while. We were told that there was trouble outside, there was a situation going down, and they just needed to calm everything down before they could let three and a half thousand white metalers into the streets of Brixton. And that was probably a wise idea because we didn't realise that the world was being turned upside down. And when we walked out of those doors and we saw upturned cars on fire and a line of police officers, um, yeah, something I, I look back at quite kind of weirdly now, 
there was a, a line, a guard um, of police officers leading us all the way back to the, the tube station. Um, you know, there was a lot of effort made to ensure that we didn't encounter any danger and that we could get home safely. Um, yeah, it was a very weird situation to get in, but it was one that I really kind of had to go home and educate myself on. And this is mid-90s. What internet we had at that point was embarrassingly bad. I mean, it was quicker to walk to a library and look something up than it was to, you know, use a search engine. We didn't even have Google back then. Um, and that's the thing. Like, now we have the spread of information. We can, we can learn about what's really going on in the world, um, and the truth can be out there. Um, in a way that no one can ever hide it. Um, but I'll leave you with one more story because, um, again, you know, my perspective is that of a white guy. Um, I'm not fully ever going to be able to empathise with their situation because I'll never know what it's like to walk in their shoes. But um, I did have a weird situation when I was filming last year and uh, I can't really talk about what I was working on because it hasn't been released yet. And it is a, a very big production. But I got to play a police officer um, in the 70s. And I was part of a group of police officers that ended up attacking a bunch of um, black protesters. And it's kind of an awkward situation because as an actor, you want to completely dedicate yourself to the role and be as authentic as possible. You know, regardless of who you are, once you're in the costume, you're that guy. And you have to completely 100% be that guy. And so I had to kind of get into my head a bunch of phrases I could use whilst shouting at these protesters. That was um, authoritative, threatening, um, insulting. But at the same time, I didn't actually want to use any... I didn't want to use it as an excuse to use words that I'm, I'm not supposed to say. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so I didn't, you know, and I, I got, uh, I tried to throw myself into it completely. And at one point I found, um, the principal actress on the show, on the production, um, engage with me. And this is the thing as well. Like it's one thing to have to be, to be playing a racist guy when it's scripted, but when it's improvised dialogue, you've, you've got to watch yourself. Um, or at least that's, that's what I, you know, try to remind myself, like, sort of, you know, don't use this as an excuse to, you know, actually insult someone or upset someone in, in a way that can be deemed to be inappropriate or, you know, racially fueled. So it's kind of bland, kind of like, sort of like, you watch it, you, or you're going to get nicked. Oh yeah, you want to watch yourself, otherwise you'll be in the back of the van, blah, 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 you know. And I loved it. I was really getting into it, but I had the principal actress suddenly right in my face. And this is the thing I hadn't even recognised up until this point. So there was a strange moment where I was like trying to spit as much rage as possible. Uh, you know, really getting this, this young girl's face. But at the same time, I was also kind of like, oh my God, you're so-and-so. And, you know, this is amazing. But I had to kind of hide all that and, and keep like this nasty menacing and you know almost monstrous character alive um and it i think i did a good job because afterwards like sort of um she gave me a fist bump and the director came over and 
you know, um, he puts his hand on my shoulder. He goes, that was great. You really got into it. I loved it. And I just, you know, oh, I was so pleased. But there's still a point where you think to yourself, like, sort of, you know, and this is often the case in productions where, um, I, like, I worked on the second series of Britannia, and I played um, a druid warrior, um, one of the, the bunch that gets attacked um, by the Romans in the opening episode of season two. Um, and as we're, you know, all in costume and going to lunch and everything like that, you do find that like the Druids would sit with the Druids and the Centurions would sit with the Centurions. And this is much the same with this production. The, um, the police sat with the police and the protesters sat with the protesters. And it was kind of weird that we had that division. It's normally not noticeable, but when you're in costume, and especially when it's like, with that situation, it wasn't just policemen on one side of the room and, and protesters on the other side of the room. It was white guys on one side of the room and, and black people on the other side of the room. Like, uh, should we be doing more to integrate? Um, but I don't think that came as like sort of a racial thing. I think it's just how people, um, you know, interact on, in these these productions. And as I say, I've seen it in all other productions. You know, um, when I was working on Dumbo, I was one of the New York men walking around the, the boardwalk in um, Dreamland, um, and there were other people who were like sort of part of the circus and this, that, and the other, and. And we'd all sit in our separate groups. And the people I socialised with mostly throughout the production were people who were in the same role as I was. And it's just something that happens. Um, it's, it's never in, intended, but it's, you know, it's kind of funny to look back on. Um, but one moment that proved that like, sort of any concerns that I had were completely ridiculous. Um, the heavens opened at one point, and we're all stood in the middle of the street there's no like sort of holding area. There's no like sort of marquee or tents or anything like that. There's like three umbrellas for like 400 people. Um, and everyone's trying to stay out of the rain as best they can. And the first thing that comes to my mind is this whole street is populated with um, era correct cars, like all these old 60s and 70s cars. So I just immediately run, you know, I know that they're all unlocked as well because they've all just been put into position. Um, so I just quickly run and jump in the front of like a, I think it was a Ford Zephyr or something like that. And immediately another guy saw what I did and thought that's a brilliant idea. And he jumped in the back. But he was a protester. And I remember making a joke, which, Jesus, it could have been inappropriate, but I don't know. Um, I made the joke that like he really shouldn't be sitting in the back. And he looked at me kind of like confused, like, sort of, what do you mean? Why shouldn't I sit in the back? And he goes, because look at us, dude. It looks like I've arrested you. And he immediately started laughing and like we were both cracking jokes about the situation and how funny it was because how awkward it was. And um, yeah, it was it was actually fantastic. And um, that day in particular, I think we were trying to get that scene done for like or a bunch of scenes um, regarding that whole um, riot. I think we were, we were there for like 17 hours. And um, when I was leaving, I remember like sort of speaking to my girlfriend at the time and, and um, she was like, you, you seem so happy. What's going on? And you've just done 17 hours, you know, on your feet and it's punishing. It's, you know, horrible. How, how can you possibly be happy at this point? And I just said, because this is what I love. And regardless of what you end up doing, um, 
how strange the characters are, how poignant they may turn out to be. Um, if you can put enough love and passion into something, uh, you're going to get that back. You're going to get that kind of level of enjoyment out of it. Um, so I try to approach these things with as much love and passion as I can, even though it's just like, you know, background roles. As I say, like in Dumbo, I was New York man 73 or something crazy like that. And um, yeah, it's not like I'm going to be in the credits or anything like that, but it's still enough that if even the background are giving it their all and giving a, a passionate and dedicated and professional performance, that it just serves to make the whole film uh, richer as a result. So whilst I may not be able to spot myself in a lot of things that I do, I don't stop giving it my best, like, people are going to be watching and scrutinising, and, yeah, your performance is important. And sometimes if you're, you know, it's, it's kind of weird to say, like, if you're really good at being in the background, like, if you're one of those people that, people don't know, normally notice sounds tragic and kind of pathetic in a way but um it makes you a really good extra um but sometimes just the reality of people in the background can make or break a scene um so we we always try to give it our best and sometimes that means that we have to give our best to uh, a performance playing a character that we wouldn't normally want to be associated with um and trust me, this has come from a guy that's that's played a Nazi in the past. Uh, it's not, it's it's never easy. And whilst you can separate yourself from the role that you're playing, there's something about being in an SS uniform and looking at yourself in the mirror. It's just a certain unease comes with an appreciation and understanding of history, and I think that's what we all need: is uh, an understanding and appreciation of history. That's how we can go about making the world a better place. Uh, and that's how we can go about creating more significant art, which can change the world. So watch these movies that I've recommended. Uh, gain the understanding, that perspective. And, you know, see how it makes you feel. Because at some point, we have to say to the next generation, it's cool. We've already fixed it. Um... But that doesn't seem like it's ever going to be the case. And that's a huge tragedy for us as a people. Um, I think we need to find a way to... If we can't fix it ourselves, then we need to ensure that we, we provide the next generation with the tools necessary to make the changes we couldn't. Um, education is the key. And a lot can be learned through the medium of art. So... Do take your kids to museums that depict history in a realistic uh, and, you know, honest fashion. But also allow them to sit down and watch films which also tell a story that they might not have seen, that they might not experience in their lives. A way of life that they might not ever get, you know, a good understanding of. That's why I think these films are important. And that's why I've recommended them. Yeah, that pretty much wraps it up for this week. Um, next week, as I say, I'll probably be reviewing The Five Bloods. Um, I know it's a bit weird to do Spike Lee films back-to-back, -back, but... Um, yeah, 
he's, he's an important filmmaker, and that's a huge film that's coming out. I am also hoping to catch uh, Debt Collectors 2, um, or Payback, as I think it might be known in this country. This is the uh, latest collaboration between um, Jesse V. Johnson and Scott Atkins, who together have been churning out some absolutely brilliant, just like really in-your-face action films and kind of old-school throwback action films as well about, you know, sort of a guy on a journey to get vengeance or something like that. Just The, the first one was fantastic. It was about a, a young a young man who's like, uh, has um, a martial arts dojo and he's being bullied out of town by uh, a rival dojo. He needs to make some kind of money to, you know, sort things out and kind of get, you know, some kind of structure and stability to his life. Um, and he ends up taking a job as a debt collector. And uh, he works with this guy who's, you know, a bit of a loose cannon. Um, there's a lot of cheesy tropes in this, but it's... it's. I wouldn't say that they're like sort of parodies, but they are very self-aware. And the way they're edited and scripted, it's... I just I just find them really, really fun. The last one that they did together was Avengement, which you might have seen on Netflix. If you haven't, check it out. Um... It is a brutal, brutal film, but uh, it's it's just a cl- like a classic homage to those kind of um, payback films from that I remember growing up with in in like the eighties and, and early nineties. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Deck Collectors Two, so hopefully I'm going to see that this week, and I'll be able to review that and the Five Bloods. Um, in regards to other films, I don't know. I'm looking possibly reviewing Leave No Trace. I've mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's a fantastic film, and it's I think it's still available on Netflix, so it's one that you should really, really watch. But uh, yeah, we'll see. If you keep an eye on our Instagram page, uh, the following feature, uh, and I say on the Facebook page as well, where you can also donate to Black Minds Matter. Um, keep an eye out there. I'll be keeping you up to date with what's going on in the world of movie news, and I'll be also giving you an idea of what we're going to be talking about next week. But until that happens... Uh, Stay safe, and for now, peace, love, empathy, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye!